Numbers 11, 1 through 9. And the people complained in, the, in hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of the, that place was called Tibera, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and it appeared like that of bdellium. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in the mortars and boiled it in pots and made, it, made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. And Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight, that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Numbers 13, verses 1 and 2, and 25 through 33. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. At the end of forty days they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land, and they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land, and that they had spied spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is the land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak who come from the Nephilim, And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Numbers 14, 1 through 4. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. 
Hello. My name is Dan. Um, I know a lot of you, but for, for those of you that um, we don't know each other, my name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here at Park Church. And uh, that's pretty much all I'll say about me. I want to get right into the, to the text here. We've got a lot to cover. We're going through numbers today. Um, we're in a fourth week of a five-week series on the first five books of the Bible. Um, these first five books are known by a lot, a lot of people as the Pentateuch. Also by uh, Jews called these books the Torah or the law. And some also call them the Book of Moses, which we felt like was a snappier title than the Pentateuch. So that's what we went with for the sermon series title. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but tonight we will be um, in numbers. I want to give a quick recap before we get into it, um, just of where we've been these last four weeks, um, uh, these first, four, I guess, three books until today of the Pentateuch. So we started out uh, in Genesis, of course, um, where it starts out with God, just God. That's the first word of the book, and that's kind of the idea that, that God was there, and then he created everything that is. Even that reading we read earlier goes along um, and describes this, that everything that, that was created, God created it. Then he went on to uh, define everything, um, tell us how things should work, define good and evil for us, uh, create, creates man and woman, uh, defines what, what that relationship should look like. And then we see uh, man and woman rebelling against God. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and, then, and then begins um, basically God uh, moving forward uh, in his work to redeem uh, this people, to transform this people, to renew this people, um, which we see through the rest of uh, the Pentateuch and the rest of the Bible as well. Then we move on to Genesis, um, where uh, the, God's people had been taken captive in Israel. They became slaves, um, not in Israel, sorry, in Egypt. And we see God freeing them from uh, their slave masters in Egypt. Um, we also see in that book that God chooses this people. He, he, he promises to, to make a nation out of this people, not because of anything they had done, not because of who they were, uh, but because out of his own sovereign will, he decided to choose this people for his glory. Uh, we moved on to Leviticus last week. Brian talked about a lot, of, a lot of the rules. We talked about sores. We talked about shrimp, a lot of weird stuff. Um, but we see in Leviticus uh, God giving this people rules and instructions for living. And so this wasn't a... Uh, it wasn't a, uh, it's not a list of rules in order to, for these people to earn favor before God or become his people. We saw earlier that uh, God had already chosen this people for himself, and now he gave them ways to live. He said, basically, Brian described it as, now that God is, is your roommate, this is how you should live. Now that God dwells among you, uh, this is how you should live as God's people. And this week we're in Numbers, um, which uh, is where we'll spend the rest of the time. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll continue on. <clears throat> Hey Lord, right now we just first confess our need for you. Uh, Lord, I confess my need for you. I pray that, um, that your spirit would be with us tonight, uh, teaching all of us through, through your word. Um, I pray you would use me uh, to teach your word well. God, uh, I pray we'd all have open hearts and open minds um, to learn uh, what you'd have for us. Um, so we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so numbers. Um, just on a basic level, uh, numbers is the story of the Israelites picks it up from, from Leviticus. It's a story of, of their journey from Sinai, where they've been since uh, Exodus 19, to Kadesh, which is the, the wilderness, where, where they spent 40 years wandering, and then finally to the, the border of the Promised Land, to Canaan, to right there, um, about to enter the Promised Land. Um, and so it's called Numbers. It's not necessarily all about numbers. The first four chapters have a lot of numbers there, a couple of censuses, um, and it gets a little bit dry there. If, I'm, if I can say that. Um, 
but once you get past the first four chapters, and that's there for a reason, I know, but uh, after the first four chapters, we get into the, to a lot more of the story, and it, it has a lot, a lot going on. Some, some of it frustrating, uh, some of it exciting, but there's a lot there. Um, another word for, or another, actually, I think the original name from what I've understood for the book of Numbers is In the Wilderness, which to me is a way cooler name, uh, but for, for whatever reason, they stuck with Numbers. It's what's easier to say, I guess. Um, but in any case, this journey of Israel, um, the whole time that we're seeing this, we're playing this out through uh, numbers, we see uh, th- this journey plagued by dissatisfaction, discontented, dis- as you heard um, the readers read. Uh, the people are not satisfied uh, and constantly grumble against God, uh, and they're plagued by, by a lack of trust, that's the bottom line, in God. Um, and we also see... On the other side, the flip side, uh, the relentless mercy, um, faithfulness, and commitment of God to continue to pursue this people, um, even as they rebel against him. And so, something like a theme that stuck out to me as I was, as I was studying this, and uh, it's kind of getting, getting to application right up front, which is odd, but something that, that kind of hit me uh, in studying this, and I think it goes along with the rest of the Bible, is that God alone can satisfy the human soul. And so, you see in Israel, they're seeking satisfaction from anything, all these different things outside of God. Uh, and we see those things don't satisfy, and that, that God alone can satisfy the human soul. And as far as we don't seek our satisfaction and find it in him, we won't find it anywhere. Uh, but as far as we do find it in him, then we're freed uh, to find satisfaction in all of life. Um, so back to the, the story here, Exodus 6, going back a little bit, we saw God uh, reestablishing this covenant with his people, um, promising them this land of Canaan, and eventually freeing them from Egypt, uh, even protecting them as Egypt came following behind them uh, to try to kill them, uh, and then leading them, beginning this process of leading them and preparing them to take the promised land. And so here in Numbers, um, God continues that process to lead and prepare his people to enter the promised land. So it's broken up into three, the book's broken up into three um, kind of geographical chunks. The first ten chapters happen at Sinai, where, like I said, where they've been since Exodus 19. Um, this is God continuing to pre- prepare the people. Uh, then they go, uh, chapters 11 through 16, um, this is their time in the wilderness, and uh, that comes about because of their grumbling, their complaining, and we, this is where we see a lot of the um, discontentedness of Israel. And then the, the, the final few chapters, 17 through 36, uh, we see God continuing to persevere with the people, uh, even though um, they are not uh, willingly following him very well. So going back to this first section of, of chapters 1 through 10, God prepares the people in a few different ways. Uh, first, by teaching them about purity. Just continuing from the book of Leviticus, we see uh, he's, he's taught them how to live in his midst. He continues this, teaching them how to live, what marriage should look like, how the camp should be organized. He also gives them priests. So the chapters 3 and 4 are all about the Levites, which is a tribe that God had set apart uh, to be priests um, to help Israel worship him well. Then we see uh, the third and final thing is God giving, him, uh, giving the people his presence. Um, he does this, uh, we, we see it talked about in chapter 9, verse 15, which I'll, I'll read here. It says, On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony. And at evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. So we see this very physical manifestation of God's presence with the people and actually even leading them along on their journey to the promised land. But the second section, chapters 11 through 16, um, 
This is just about a year, uh, right, right out of a year since they were freed from Egypt. So we saw the first Passover, of course, was when they were freed from Egypt. We see them celebrate the second Passover uh, here in Numbers chapter 9. Numbers chapter 10, God says, okay, it's time to go take, go take this land. So he commissions them to go. And then we see in chapter 11, uh, the people already uh, losing faith in God. We see them grumbling, um, beginning to complain again. Uh, they grumble against Moses, they complain, uh, they accuse God, complain about their misfortunes, and most of all, they complain about their food. They constantly complain about their food. Uh, they don't have enough meat to eat. They don't have the food they had back in Egypt, back when they were slaves. Um, and then we come to what I, what I think is the most frustrating part of the book in chapter 13, um, where Israel, God has brought them, he's basically held them by the hand and led them all, all the way um, from Egypt Sinai, and now all the way to the border of the Promised Land. Um, as they've complained against him, um, as they've uh, lacked trust in him, um, he's, he's still been faithful to walk with them, lead, lead them with this cloud all the way. They, they pick up camp whenever the cloud moves and just follow it. So they don't even have to know where they're going. God is leading them to the Promised Land. He, he gets them there. They're right on the edge of it. And the Lord said to Moses, send men, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. So it seems like we're right here at the climax of the story, right? They're about to enter the land. There's nothing that could stop them. God has already defeated uh, Egypt. He's, he's brought them this far. They're right there. They're just days from, maybe weeks from actually taking and, and establishing a community in this, in this land. And even the sentence I just read, um, it says, Send men despite the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. So God reasserts here that he's giving the land to this people. He, he didn't just free them from Egypt and say, Hey, there's some really great land over there. You guys go take it. Good luck with that, or I'll be right behind you. Um, he actually leads them the whole way. Is basically telling them, just follow me. Please just follow me into this land. I'll, I'll, I'll be here. My presence will be manifested clearly with you. All you have to do is trust me that, that I'm going to give you uh, this land. Um, but in verse 28, oh, actually, sorry, let me, let me back up. Um, yeah, 1327. After the, so they send spies into the land to check it out, kind of see what's, uh, what's there. The spies come back, um, and this is they told him, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So, A, they were close enough to like, bring back fresh fruit. I mean, they were right there. B, they say it, it flowed with milk and honey. Um, this is just basically them saying the land's incredible. It's, it's everything we hoped it would be and more. Um, it's, it's an abundant land. It's incredible. But, however... Uh, they go on to say, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And so we see these spies doubting. Um, again, they, they're doubting the power of God, that he can actually lead them into this land. He's, he's doubting, they're doubting the provision of God, that, that he will take care of them and provide this land for them that he's promised to provide for them. Um, even after he's freed them from Egypt, a, a nation much more powerful than the Canaanites, the Amalekites, or these other peoples that they're afraid of now, just... A year before, they saw God um, very actively move to, to defeat Egypt and free them from, from slavery there. Yet now, they've forgotten that, uh, and they're already doubting uh, God's provision and, and his power again. So in judgment, God says, because you've continued to doubt, um, you won't set foot in the land that I've promised you. But because of my faithfulness, uh, your children will enter the land, uh, and your children will thrive there. So when the people hear this, uh, they kind of freak out. They're like, oh, crap. Um, 
I guess there's some implications to our sin. And uh, so they're like, okay, we're going to go. We'll, we'll, ta- we'll, we'll go now. We'll take the land. We'll fight these people. Uh, Moses says, what are you talking about? God, God's already told you he's not going to go with you. Um, this is going to be a b- bad idea to, to do this. And they say, whatever, Moses, we're going anyways. So they basically go into the land um, without the tabernacle, without Moses, um, effectively without God's presence, um, and try to do it uh, themselves, and they're uh, easily defeated uh, by the Amalekites and the Canaanites. Then from chapter 14 on, uh, we see the people basically wandering in the wilderness. Uh, we see God um, waiting for this generation to pass until their children uh, can be ushered into the land. Um, so the question that, that I want to ask and what I want to spend the rest of our time on is what led to this rebellion? What led to this lack of belief in this people that had seen all these incredible things uh, from God, um, yet they don't believe and they don't trust him? So what led to that? So I want to go back to chapter 11. <clears throat> and this idea that, um, that I see throughout this book is kind of this idea of if, if only... The people keep saying things like, if only, if only we had meat, if only we were back in Egypt. Um, it says the people had a strong craving in verse 4 it, uh, verse four of chapter 11. It doesn't say they were hungry. We know that their needs were being met. God was providing f- for them food, water. But it says they had, had a craving. Um, if only we had meat to eat, if only we were back in Egypt and had all those food at no cost, which is kind of ridiculous. They were slaves, so of course their food was free, right? Their slave masters give them food so they'll, they'll work for them. They, they didn't even own themselves. Um, and now they're talking about their free food back in Egypt. Um, and cravings like this happen, I think, when we look to things, anything other than God, to give us uh, what only God can give us. And so I wonder also, how often do we do these exact same things? How often do we uh, talk about what if or if only? If only I made a little bit more money. If only uh, my house had one more bedroom. Or maybe if only my car didn't break down every other week, or if only I was married, um, or maybe if only I wasn't married. Um, <laughs> even, <laughs> where's Megan? I didn't mean that. Um, no, or if only my wife was a little more like this, or if only my husband was a little less like this. Um, so just think about what is it in your life that you, you think like that about, uh, that you think about if only this. Um, and as I, was, as I was pondering that, dwelling on that, um, I was reminded of how Paul describes the wrath of God in Romans chapter 1. So if you read Romans 1, um, Paul describes God's wrath as God giving us over to the desires of our hearts. That's his wrath being poured out on us. Um, giving us all the things we could want, all the desires of our hearts, all the if-onlys. Um, that is defined in Romans uh, as God's wrath being poured out on us. Which, I don't know if a lot of us believe that. Do you guys believe that? And I wonder if there are people here that might even think, if God's wrath on me is, is me getting everything that I want, getting every desire of my heart, um, that, sounds, that sounds pretty good to me. Um, but I just want to plead with you um, to not be deceived. Not be deceived by your hearts. Our hearts, our wills, our desires are broken and darkened uh, and will lead us to death. We see that in Romans. We see that if we're left to our own devices, to, to seeking out and attaining every desire of our heart, uh, we see that lead down a terrible road uh, that ends in death. Um, and God has so much more for us um, than we could ever desire for ourselves. So we see the Israelites in the story seeking to gratify every immediate desire of their hearts. Um, and I know their circumstances weren't great. They were um, living out in the desert. 
um, but they had just been freed from slavery. They'd seen God do all these uh, incredible things in their sight. They'd, uh, they were basically getting ready to be ushered into this promised land that they'd been talking about, hearing about, hearing stories from their parents, telling their children about for literally hundreds of years. They'd been in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. They were just this close to attaining this. And all they can think about is what's right in front of their face. All they can think about is that there's, there's no meat. I, I don't have meat with my dinner tonight. Um, and this is <laughs> a really cheesy illustration, but I thought of it this morning. And um, it, it just made me think about, okay, pretend that you are a single girl. Um, actually, if everyone could p- pretend that Brian's a single girl right now first. Um, now, pretend you're a single girl, and you meet this great guy, this incredible guy. He's, uh, he's godly, smart, he's um, athletic really, you know, attractive, good calves, just perfect, <laughs> perfect man for you. You start dating, he asks you, you go on some dates, you start dating. Um, at your one-year anniversary, you guys go to a really nice restaurant, you're sitting there at dinner, and, uh, and, and, and halfway through the dinner, he gets down on one knee, and he says, so-and-so, uh, <laughs> says your name, insert name here, uh, will you marry me? And then imagine you look down at your plate, as he's right there, and say, you know, this, I think this fettuccine was supposed to come with chicken. And he's like, he's like, hey, I'm serious. I, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I want to I lay down my life. I want to give my life to you. I want to spend every day from, from today until I die with you. And you're going, what in the world? I ordered a side of shrimp too. There, this is just noodles on a plate here. What's going on? And the guy's just, anyway. So stupid illustration. But the idea is God is there waiting to give this people. Um, to, to, he's covenanted with his people. He wants to give them um, what's best for them. All they can think about is what's right in front of them, what's on their plate. Um, they're this close to entering this promised land that they've been literally talking about for hundreds of years. Um, so what's the deal? Why, why are they so blinded to what God is trying to do? Um, I would say here it is. Uh, the people have been freed from Egypt, freed from slavery, but in reality, they're still uh, slaves. They're still under the power of slavery, but uh, to a much harsher, um, much more powerful slave master than Egypt could ever have been. Um, we see John in John, the book of John, 8, 31 through 34. I'm going to turn to it real quick. It says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Then we see in Romans 3.23, Paul tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we see here that anyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. We see that we have all um, committed sin. Therefore, we are all, uh, by nature, slaves uh, to sin. Israel, uh, we're, we're slaves to sin. And I just want to even talk about the idea of sin for a second. A lot of us think about sin as these, these rules we're breaking, these sins that we're, we're doing. In reality, the, the heart of sin is much bigger, much deeper, much more robust than, than a list of things that we're doing or behaviors, uh, ways that we're acting. Um, sin is a power that lives in us, that dwells in us, that controls us at times. We, we see Paul uh, talk about, in Romans 7, 22, 23, he says, for, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So even Paul, this guy who's probably the most influential 
Christian in the history of the world, we see him talking about being controlled by this power within. Earlier uh, in Romans, he talks about how the things he wants to do, he doesn't do. The things that he hates are the very things that he does. So we see this, this power um, controlling Paul. Paul was, was a slave to sin at times. Um, so we read the story about the Israelites. We see uh, a people that seem very blind, right? They seem completely blind. It seems like they're um, kind of stupid, right? Waiting, I mean, right there at the promised land, uh, ready to be ushered in, and, they're, and they're, they just can't do it. Um, but my question is, are we any different? I, I think that myself, I know I, at times I've thought, if I saw these wonders that these people saw or that we see other places in the Bible, if I saw God doing something like that, of course I would believe. Of course I would lay down my life and follow him completely. But he hasn't really shown himself to me in that way. I, you know, I just I kind of live. I haven't really seen any miraculous signs. Um, but in reality, God is revealing himself to us. God shows himself to us everywhere, every day, all, all over the place. If you walk outside, look at trees, look at the grass, um, look at your friends. I mean, th- he's created people to see and taste and touch. He's created um, Park Burger to enjoy. He's created like a beautiful building like this downtown. He's created the mountains. Um, all these things are shouting about God, who he is, uh, his character, his love for us. Um, and, and we just chalk them up to nature. And, and we would say, God hasn't really re- revealed himself. He hasn't shown himself to me. Uh, when in reality, God has shown himself to us uh, and continues to show himself to us every day if we would just open our eyes uh, and look at it. So now we get to this story, going back to, uh, to Numbers, chapter 11, 19 through 20. Um, what's described here uh, first sounds pretty good. Like the people are grumbling again, asking for food. God finally says, okay, if you want some food I'll get, I'll, or some meat, I'm going I'm to give you meat. And he says... Uh, so basically all this quail comes in, surrounds the camp. Uh, and God says, you're not just going to eat meat for a day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you. And a guy I know, I uh, heard him describe this as his experience with Fogo de Chao because I've been there. It's just like a big meat fest. You eat until you can't even move anymore. Um, so it sounds, you know, on the surface sounds kind of good, but in reality, uh, God says this meat is going to become loathsome to you. Um, and he, then he describes why it's going to be, become loathsome. He says, because you've rejected the Lord, because you haven't found satisfaction in him. I think that <clears throat> this isn't necessarily God just saying, because you haven't loved me, I'm going to make this meat, I'm going to make this quail loathsome to you. <clears throat> I think he's just describing the reality that these people are, are seeking their satisfaction, seeking joy, seeking everything uh, on like having meat. If I could just have meat, everything would be okay. Uh, and he's saying, because you haven't found satisfaction first in the Lord, you're never going to find satisfaction uh, in this meat. And so he does with, the, with these people, just in a matter of days, what it often takes a lifetime for us to learn of seeking satisfaction in things that, that are never going to truly satisfy us. So, the question I had is if, if we're no different than Israel, if we're slaves to sin, uh, just like they were... Um, slaves to our own cravings, our own desires, if we're constantly prone to wander away from God, to seek satisfaction uh, in anything but God, uh, then what's there to do about it? What do we do? How are we freed from slavery? What do we do about this issue? Um, do we just try harder? Uh, I know that I've, I've tried harder to do a lot of things. I've even tried harder with other people. I've said, hey, will you ask me about this? And then they ask me about it, and I feel guilty, and then try not to do it even more. Uh, but it, in reality, it never really works. Um, God points to the solution in Numbers chapter 21. 
<clears throat> so, this is an interesting story. The people are again complaining, and they say, quote, Why have you brought us out of Egypt? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Which to me was curious and funny because they say, there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worth, worthless food. So in reality, there, there was food, right? I mean, they, they were provided food. The problem isn't that there was no food. The problem was they didn't appreciate the food that God had provided for them, that they wanted something else. They wanted something different. Um, I think the same is, is true for us often. It's not that God hasn't provided for us when we complain about things. It's that God hasn't provided in the way that we want him to provide, right? So back to the what ifs. It's, it's generally not um, I don't have any friends. It's that I don't have the friends that I want. I don't have the relationships that I want. Or God hasn't provided the right kind of relationships. It's not generally that I don't, I don't have a place to stay tonight. It's that I don't like the place I'm staying tonight. I don't like the apartment or the house that God has provided for me. It might not be that I don't have a spouse. It might be that I don't really like this spouse, or I want this spouse to be different. I don't like what God has provided for me. Um, it's not that I don't have a life God has given us life. It's that I want a different life, a better life. Um, so again, back to the story, God's righteous anger was on the people as they grumbled and complained again. Um, and so God, in mercy, instructed Moses to create this bronze serpent um, and said whoever looked upon it uh, would be saved from his wrath which sounds a little interesting and kind of weird up front. Um, but Moses, Moses does this to people, look upon it, and are saved. I think this communicates a couple things, and, and this was communicating a couple things to the Israelites. Um, first, that they uh, had to look outside themselves um, for salvation. To be saved by God, there was nothing in themselves that they could do. They had to look outside themselves. And secondly, this bronze serpent points directly to Christ. So in John 3... Um, it says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. This is Jesus talking, referring to his crucifixion. Um, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so, to answer the question, where do we find freedom uh, from this slavery to sin? It's by looking outside ourselves, uh, looking to Christ, um, uh, to do what we could never do, to stand uh, before and, and, and righteously take God's uh, wrath for us. Um, I want to quote Paul Tripp, a guy, uh, author that I've been reading lately. He says, as we think about how change happens, we need to start at the beginning. We have a future because God is committed to finishing what he has started in us. God is faithful even in our unfaithfulness. Uh, so believers, uh, believers in Christ have hope because Christ has married himself to us. Um, not because of anything we could do, uh, but because he's committed to finishing what he started in us. And so as we look at the, at the Pentateuch as a whole, um, it's constantly pointing, pointing forward to Jesus. Brian talked about this a bit. He's talked about how Adam, Noah, Abraham, and some of the other, uh, other figures um, were uh, basically shadows kind of pointing towards uh, Christ, what was to come. And we see here in Moses uh, that Moses led the people out of slavery uh, in Egypt. Uh, we see Moses constantly interceding for the people, uh, coming before God, and saying, have mercy on this people, uh, as they grumble and complain against him. And in, the, in this last story, we see Moses uh, saving these people by, by creating this bronze serpent and, and showing them to look outside themselves um, to be saved. These were all, all shadows of what was to come in Christ, 
Um, Christ doesn't merely lead us out of physical slavery, though. He leads us out of this heart slavery, this slavery uh, to sin. Uh, He's our true advocate uh, before the Father, and he intercedes for us effectively. Uh, Whereas Moses continually came before the Father again and again, uh, when Christ comes before the Father on our behalf, um, it's effective, and and God truly listens. Uh, The Father truly listens. And he becomes our true sacrifice. Um, So as we look outside ourselves uh, to him, um, he can stand in our place and he can save us. Um, so before I, wanna, before I end, I want to um, just finish with a little context for this. Um, this is a passage actually Art recommended that I read this week, and so it, it made a lot of sense. Um, it's Hebrews 3, 7 through 14. <clears throat> so we're going to be in Hebrews. We're actually starting a study of Hebrews uh, in two weeks. So you'll probably hear a lot more about this. Brian, will, I'm sure, will teach on it in much more depth. But I'm going to read this. It's Hebrews 7, or I'm sorry, Hebrews 3, 7 through 14. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation. And said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So here the author of Hebrews um, refers back to numbers and sheds some light on how to avoid uh, some of what Israel experienced. Basically, uh, this is a context for um, this idea of looking, looking to Christ for our salvation, trusting in him, uh, seeking him for uh, our righteousness and for um, our fulfillment. That doesn't happen um, on our own. It doesn't happen on an, on an island. It happens in a context. He gives us that, this context of with, with other people. And so we've been given the church We've been give, given other believers to work through this process with other people um, that, that know us, that should know us, that we should know them. Um, and this is even a plug for, Brian mentioned our gospel communities. This is just one way we try to see this actually happen, try to make this happen, or at least facilitate it happening uh, within our church is, is gospel communities. But smaller groups of people that actually know you, that you know them, that are able to, to speak truth, speak the gospel into your life, that you're able to confess sin to, they're able to confess sin to you. This is how this stuff gets worked out. Um, it doesn't happen generally just on your own. Uh, it's not intended to happen on your own. And so, uh, again, like I mentioned at the beginning, um, I just want to end with as long as we, uh, like Israel, uh, refuse to trust God uh, and find satisfaction in Him, uh, we'll never find satisfaction in anything in life. Um, but as soon as we believe uh, that Christ is the only one that can truly uh, free us, uh, that can intercede for us, and that can ultimately stand in our place and save us. And as soon as we find um, our satisfaction in him, uh, we'll be free to enjoy all these other things that he's given us, all these things that were slave masters uh, before. If we first find our righteousness in Christ, um, we can enjoy those, uh, all, the, all the gifts that God gives us freely. Um, so we're going to end with communion, as we do every night. Um, I just want to encourage you guys um, maybe even to sit and, and just dwell um, for, for, for a minute or so on, on the things in your life 
uh, that you're seeking for satisfaction other than God or outside of God? Um, what, what are the things that are, that are keeping you from, from communion with him, from finding satisfaction in him? And then also as you, as you rise and come forward and take the, the, the bread and dip it in the wine, uh, believing uh, that Christ's broken body and his shed blood has, has freed us from this bondage to slavery, and even look around and see that you're doing this with a, with a couple hundred other people, knowing that these people are here um, on some level for you, to love you and for you to love them. And so be aware that we're doing this in a community. So, yeah, um, let me pray for us, and then and we'll partake of communion together. Lord, I thank you that uh, you haven't left us on our own. You haven't left us um, as slaves to our sin, Lord, that you've provided. Um, you've provided Christ to stand in our place, to free us from slavery. Um, I pray that we would um, learn from the Israelites, learn from their mistakes, and I pray we wouldn't um, uh, just constantly look at the desires of our hearts that are right in, right in front of us, Lord, but that we would um, seek you, that we would believe uh, the gospel, Lord, believe that it changes us, and uh, yeah, and we just say we trust you um, with our lives, um, we trust you to change us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.